good decisions. And I encourage you to make good decisions. And the first decision is to actually vote. By the way, if you haven't registered, registered to vote, you're done for this time. The registration ended October 4th. But I'm going to encourage you before you even start to register so that you can vote next year. If you're not registered, please do so. In fact, is I've uh, chosen to start the sermon this morning, and I've called it, uh, Let Your Vote Shine. Now, that's a take from Matthew chapter 5, because there it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt becomes tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men hide a lamp under a peck measure, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, obviously, that was not written to talk about voting. But there's a principle there. And the principle is that no matter where you are, no matter what the circumstance, doesn't matter if you're here at church Sunday morning, work Monday morning uh, with your neighbors, with your family, it doesn't matter where you are, we have a responsibility As Christians, we also have a responsibility as Christian citizens. We are in every area of our life to let our light shine. We are to be salt in a world that desperately needs input so that it's worthwhile. There are a lot of things in life that um, I enjoy eating, but without salt... They just don't have a lot of appetizing uh, grab in my life. There are a lot of things that we enjoy, but without light, you can't even see them. You don't even know what's going on. You're groping around, hoping you get the right direction, like putting a... I got to put a light over at the office because you go to the office door and you struggle to get the key in the lock because you can't find the, the, the place to put it in. We need light in this world. We need salt in this world. And I encourage you that that's every area. I will tell you there is no verse in scripture anywhere that says vote. So that's not my main point. My main point is you are to be good stewards of everything that God has entrusted to you. I do not believe that because you're a good citizen that makes you a good Christian. In my lifetime, that was a big theme that went kafui and went downhill fast because preachers got involved with politicians, and it was a disaster in the end. But the other, th- the other opportunity is true. If you are a good Christian, your light will shine. You will be salt in this world. And so I'm encouraging you. In fact is, statistics tell me that 20% of those who are self-confessed Christians have not registered to vote, which means you're not salt and light. Now, that's bad enough. But 40% of those that are Christians, by their definition, don't vote, which means that as Christians, we only have about 45% of the impact that we should have on our government, on our society, on the world around us when it comes to political and governmental things. 
That's pretty sad. We take seriously missions. Bev, thank you so much. We have a missions project that seems all the time. We have, you know, very close to 50% of our budget goes to missions. I'm glad we have that emphasis. We're salt and light in that direction. My challenge this morning is not on missions, but it's on being a citizen, one who has an impact and exercising that impact on the society around us. And I'm encouraging you in that direction. Today, this morning, and uh, on Tuesday when we vote, around the world there will be Christians who are persecuted and, uh, by their governing authorities simply because they're Christians. We're not far from that if we do not exercise the rights that we have been given. And I encourage you to exercise that right. It may require you to do things differently. It may require extra work. I don't know what it's going to require for you to do that, but I encourage you to be salt and light on Tuesday. I encourage you to be salt and light every day, of course, but very specifically this morning in that direction. But if we're going to vote, you need to be informed. And that's the point number one. Point number one is, is you really need to have a biblical view of government. Because how do you know who you want to vote for? Somebody at prayer meeting said we want to vote for a specific party. I'm like, nope, stop right there. That is not what I'm going to preach. In fact is, if, even if it was totally legal for me to endorse candidates, I would never do that. You know why? Because I would land up with egg in my face on a regular basis. Here's why. You'll see. Hopefully the sermon will explain why I would never do that. Even if they said, you know, it was totally legal and everything else, uh, I would never do that simply because it's not the right. We deal with character. We deal with principle. We deal with issues. That is the most important thing. So if you are turned in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, I'd like to read... The first 10 verses there, set that as a stage because the rest of it will be in machine gun fashion. I will be quoting from a lot of verses of scripture because as I started out, I thought this was going to be a simple sermon. And by the time I was done, I realized how much the Bible has to say about the civil authorities that we have over us. But there's, if there's one main passage in the scripture, it is Romans chapter 13 and it is... Uh, a broad statement. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they have opposed, and I'm sorry, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil." Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. 
honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. And so, not only is love the fulfillment of our spiritual, moral, and ethical duties, it also is in conjunction with what we do in response to our government and in interaction with our government. Now, that's a mouthful. There are a lot of things there. You could preach a whole series of sermons on this. That is not my purpose this morning. So let's look at a biblical view of government. And I've got a number of things. First of all, All government is given by God. It's God's idea. So if we have the idea that government is bad, they're all liars, they're all bums, they're all leeches. I mean, I've heard all kinds of stuff. You got it wrong because you're saying God goofed up. God did not goof up. He knew that we needed authority. The alternative is anarchy. God knew that human beings, especially sinful human beings, need those that are over us. It provides order. The second thing that is true about human government is that God is above all human governments. Government is indeed limited in its authority and its sovereignty. There is no such thing biblically as an absolute government. For example, God has not only ordained government for countries, but he's also given us other institutions which they themselves are sovereign in their own sphere of influence and their own sphere of authority or sovereignty. Anytime government tries to overtake one of those, uh, there's a problem. Any political view, believe me, there are a lot around, so not all government is run in a godly fashion. Remember, God gave government, but not all governments operate in a a godly manner. Any political view, any government that sees governing authorities as the sovereign agent over every human institution is not a biblical institution. God has said that the church is a sovereign authority and it is not to be ruled by anyone else. God has told us that the family is also an institution that is not to be dictated to by any other sovereign authority. Now, you could say, well, hold it a second. How, How does that all work? Well, first of all, every institution has some influence over the other institutions. And those are the three main ones that God has given. And each one has some influence on the other. But each one is sovereign in its own way. I do not want the government telling me what to do or us as a church what to do. That is not their privilege. On the other hand, we do not ultimately run the government. We're a part of it. We have an influence. That's why we vote. But we don't run the government. The two are separate. That's why, and we have a system that operates that way, thankfully. Not all countries do. 
a lot, not all Muslim countries, but many Muslim countries, uh, the two are mixed together, and it's a disaster when you start looking at it, it's where a lot of the persecution takes place simply because one is ruling the other. They're in a, uh, operating in a way that is not according to God's will. There should always be harmony between those various institutions. God has given them all. And I don't have time to, to go into all the, uh, the, the specifics of family and church but that's not my purpose this morning. My purpose is, is government mostly. But each one uh, has the right to express itself, to run itself in a sovereign way, but to work harmoniously. If the church breaks down, as I talked about a few weeks ago, uh, and people are abused or ripped off, there is a place for the government because evildoers need to be punished. On the other hand, in the family, if a family breaks down and people are abusing their children or uh, harming each other, the government has a mandated responsibility to step in. But by and large, they're sovereign. And there, there's an uh, interaction, but there is not a control. And any, as I mentioned, I'm saying it one more time, any political entity that sees itself as the sovereign agent is not a biblical one. The fact is, in humanistic systems of government, the institution of the church and the family are subordinated under the state, uh, and uh, they don't, they only, I'm sorry, they only exist by permission of the, the state itself. And if you look in many countries, like uh, China will say, you know, we have uh, religious freedom, but that's only if you're under their church. And it's been through history. And you know, the, if you've studied any amount of history in the Dark Ages and other places, you find out that it just ends in chaos and disaster. But a Christian view of government recognizes the sovereignty of each of these spheres and the influence they have over each other. And uh, only does the government interfere in the others when there is a threat to life, liberty, or property. So we need to understand Government is limited. It's not over everything, and it has the right to control everything. It simply does not. Government does try that. In fact, is there are governments in this world that go so far as, try, as to try to control the thinking of people, the ideas of people. In case you're wondering, our country messes with that at times. That's called politically correct, in case anybody wants to know. Third thing <clears throat> that this says is we are to submit to the government. Now, there is a place for dissent, but in general, we are commanded to submit to our governing authorities. It's for our good. It's so that we have a clear conscience. And I have to tell you, as Christians, you should be strive to have a good conscience in every area of life. You ought to be able to come to church with a clear conscience. You ought to be able to minister with a clear conscience, interact socially with other people with a clear conscience. And you ought to be able to interact with your government with a clear conscience. Why? As, as Romans says, because you're doing what is good, so you have no fear. You do it for conscience sake, not just because somebody can lower the boom on you, use the sword. 
but you do it because it's right. As a Christian, you should be the best citizen. Why? Because you're doing what is right. The law really has nothing to do with you. Other places, when it talks about the Old Testament law, it says that the law is not given for a righteous man, but for an unrighteous man. So if you're doing what is right, you shouldn't have to worry about it. Think about something real simple. We'll all laugh at this, but if you drive the speed limit and stop at stop signs and do a few other common sense things in your car, you don't have to look in the rearview mirror to see if there are flashing lights. I didn't say I got that all right. I'm just telling you that's the way it should be, okay? Because if you pass a policeman and all of a sudden your adrenaline and your heart rate goes up and your adrenaline shoots, you go, uh, yeah, my conscience isn't clear. Okay? Just keep, that, just keep that in mind. That's a very simple part of this. But we are to obey government. That's what Romans says. It also says in Acts that we must obey God rather than men. And what we know to be true, we must continue to speak. Both of those come from the book of Acts. And the apostles were willing to deal with that. And they said, you know what? We obey God. He is higher than than that. In fact, is the Bible is clear from Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven. The standards in heaven are a whole lot higher. God's standards are a whole lot higher than any governmental standards, and we need to keep that in mind. So, we need to have a good conscience. Government, um, God has established governmental leaders as his servants. I got to tell you, that is sometimes hard to swallow. Now, if we like the person in office, it's easy. But if we don't, that's pretty hard. But it doesn't distinguish here. Remember, this was written when Rome was in control. And Rome outlawed Christianity. I mean, it's tough. But he says, no, there is a place where, to the best of your ability, you are going to not only obey them and submit to the government, but to see the ministers of government as God's servants that he has sent. Now, it may not be perfect, but it provides an organizational framework wherein we can live and move and breathe. And that's what God wants to happen. Our leaders are entrusted to administer justice. And we shouldn't have any reason to fear if we're living, living correctly. The government is not the enemy. And some people, and, and Christians included, because I hear, I hear it, I've had the same attitude at times, so I'm not poking my finger at somebody else's. You know what? It's just, okay, we just put up with it. But God is, God is a whole lot stricter on that than that. He says, no, I put them there to administer justice. The fact is, the main responsibility of government from the very, very beginning has been in the punishment of evildoers. If you remember when government was first given by God, it was in response to sin right after the flood. And the first rule that was given for human government, if man takes a man's life by man, his life shall be taken. Capital punishment was the first rule. I got to tell you, when you start taking that away, you are getting away from what God has 
decided that one of the main purpose, not the only purpose, but one of the main purposes of government, that those who take other people's lives need to pay with their own life. Government is to provide equal rights to all of its citizens. Unfortunately, many countries, that is not true. And this is equal opportunity and equal rights, not equal outcome. I will talk about that in the future uh, of this sermon. But in the end of the book of Proverbs, um, it is talking, and I believe it's uh, Solomon's mother. She had a pet name. She called him Lemuel. But uh, he was the only king, so it has to be him. But it says this, and this is his mother advising him as the king says, and don't pervert the rights of the afflicted. Open your mouth for the dumb and for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. Notice it doesn't say that uh, you need to support them in making sure that they can continue on in their, their way. But... No way, shape, or form is government supposed to suppress those who are having a hard time. And it's very easy, whether it's in society or government, those that are down and out to abuse and use and abuse them. The Bible says, no way, you are defend their rights. They have the right to exist. They have the right to continue on and uh, not to be abused and to be used up and to be uh, cast aside. But government is also to provide an atmosphere wherein righteousness can flourish. In fact, is in Proverbs chapter 14, it says this, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Government is to provide a basis wherein righteousness can flourish. They are not to be in the business of the church. But they are to provide the opportunity, the organization, wherein it can flourish. That is their responsibility. And also, the leaders of our government are to praise those who do a good job, who do what is right. And I'll tell you what, government doesn't do a overall very good job of that. We do in the military. Somebody is a hero, we give them medals, we let their name be known and all that, and that's, that's a good thing, that's a right thing. But uh, we see government as basically negative. The Bible says that government really should be positive. And we see those kinds of things. We see people, uh, one of our own, in a very small way, uh, Bob Breon, if you, if, you get, if you live in Lower Sordaire, you got their paper, and he's being handed a, a plaque because I think he served on the zoning board for 30, how many, how many years, Paul? 30, 30 years. You know, that's the kind of thing. Government is to encourage people who do the right thing, you know. And uh, the interesting thing is, just in case anybody wants to know, Bob was on the zoning board when we built this building. You know what he did? Being the man of character he is, he said, I'm on the zoning board. When we discuss Garden Chapel, I'm out. That's pretty cool. But he, a man of integrity and character. But uh, we, by and large, uh, are to see government is to praise those who do right. In fact, it's not only just in Romans chapter 13, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that 
They, they are sent for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. That's why God has sent them. So God has no problem calling them his ministers. In fact, Proverbs uh, chapter 14, verse uh, 35, that follows the one I just read, says, The king's favor is toward a servant who acts wisely, but his anger toward him who acts shamefully. That's the perfect balance uh, in what God wants us to know. <clears throat> we are also to submit, as I mentioned earlier, because we are to have a clear conscience because we're obeying God. Not simply obeying the government, but obeying God, which is a greatly higher calling, a greatly higher standard than any government could ever impose upon us. <laughs> the next one nobody likes, but it's true. We're to pay our taxes. That's what it said. We are to absolutely pay our taxes. In fact, is they tried to trap Jesus one time in Matthew chapter 22, and they said, here's a denarius. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, are we to pay the poll tax? He said, show me a denarius. And he said, whose inscription's on it? He said, Caesar's. And his response was, what is Caesar's? Render to Caesar. There is a place. Why? They're God's ministers. They deserve to have a paycheck, the same as a pastor does, uh, or any other person that does a job. And the only way they have is by your taxes. And so there's a responsibility to pay taxes. And then it ends with that we are to honor our leaders. It doesn't say if you agree with them. See, honor is not simply given to a person. It could be, but it's given to an office. Why? Because the office is established by God, God's ministers, God's servants. But there's one other thing that it doesn't say in Romans chapter 13, but it does other places in First Peter, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 2. It makes it clear that we are to pray for those who are in authority. That we may lead, and this goes right back to some of the other things we've talked about, lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He says, this is good and acceptable. This is what God wants us to do. Why do we pray for government? That they would come to the knowledge of the truth and that we could live a quiet, dignified, godly life. When you put everything that the Bible says about government, and we have just taken... Uh, Slice off the top because it says a whole lot more than that. We recognize that governance is not bad. It's not perfect, but it's not bad. It can always use improvement. And folks, get back to my theme this morning, is we, in our country, have privileges that most of the world will give their right arm for, is we have the possibility of a peaceful, quiet, and dignified way to have an influence, to be a part of our government. Most people don't have that privilege. They get whatever is handed to them. We have a privilege. Please, folks, be a good steward. Be salt. Be light. Make a difference. My second point, and we're going to look at this, is how do I vote? I don't have, I have exactly 12 minutes left. So how should I, what are the standards I should have if I'm going to vote? No, you are, <laughs> I'd like to say you are going to, but I don't have that, I don't have the right to do that. But we are to be good stewards of everything God has given us. 
I challenge you that the salt and the light and the stewardship and all the things that we have as privileges, God expects us to use. He expects us to use it to the fullest. And I believe that we need to look at these things and have a response. And that response is to take the time and the effort required to promote, protect, and preserve godly government. If we do not use our influence, and statistics tell us as Christians as a whole, we do not. 45% of us will vote. I hope that's 100% at Garden Chapel. If you're not registered, that's not going to happen. But otherwise, do everything you can do to have an influence. So what do I do when I pull back the curtain and walk in and start pushing buttons? How do I vote? Do I vote for a party? Do I vote for a person? No, we vote for, well, we vote for a person by their character, by their quality of life, by what they stand for, by their track record, uh, and all of those things, uh, the stand that they take on the various issues of life. So let's look at some of those issues, and I'm going to do this rather quickly. I do not have time to explain each one of them. But does the candidate promote the sanctity of human, all human life? People have accused me of being a one-issue kind of person. If life isn't valuable, who cares who you vote for? Who cares what the rest of the laws are if life doesn't mean anything? And so I start with that one, and I put that one first on purpose. All life at any stage, from conception to natural death, is given by God. God alone has the right to give life. God alone has the right to take life away. We do not. Number two, does the candidate appear capable of managing God's creation? Is the candidate a steward? That's not environmentalism. That is because we live in a dirty world. We live in a sin-cursed world, and there is dirt. And there are a lot of hard things to deal with. Does this person have the fortitude? The, the ability, the capability, the, the character and all the other things that are needed to make good decisions, to use the resources, the time, the, the taxes, whatever that we have to use it in a good manner. That, the person needs to be able to do that. They need to be a good steward or a good manager of the resources that we have. Does the candidate uphold a biblical view of marriage and family. We know, and I've already expounded, that the family is one of those institutions that God has given that has sovereignty. The government is not to control it. But does the person respect the family? Today, that is a huge issue. Two main ways that I'm aware of. Does the government have the right to change the definition of marriage? The answer is no, it does not. God has already defined what marriage is. It's one woman and one man. Any other uh, view of that is absolutely unbiblical, and it's immoral and unnatural. Second part of that, as I told you, there were two parts. The other is, are your children a ward of the state? Or are they your children and your responsibility? I'll guarantee you, if you're not vigilant, you will find both of these eroded away. One of them is very eroded already with the children. It's already been eroded. 
Check it out if you don't believe me. But does the candidate go that direction or they go the other direction? By the way, we, we, lots of stuff are messed up. I'm looking at direction here because no one single person can ever change all of this. But what direction do they go? Number four, does the candidate endeavor to protect the citizens from all threats to safety? In other words, does it protect our citizens? That means enemies within, enemies without. That includes all of the things that we talk about from terrorism, which is a big one today, to illegal uh, immigration and all those kinds of things. Do they punish? Does, does this person have a uh, direction in mind that punishes those that do evil and exalts those that do good? Is that their direction? Is that what they're working for? Is that direction they had? Does the candidate endorse administering of justice and equal rights for all citizens. In other words, this person cannot be someone who is prejudiced, who is against classes or types of people or races of people or genders of people. They need to be someone who says, I represent all people and I am there to help them so that they can live life to the fullest. Does the candidate support an atmosphere conducive to righteous living? Or is this someone who is trying to use the power of government to usurp the authority of the church, to make it difficult for the church to do the job God has commanded it to do. Not doing it for us. I don't want government doing it for us. But does it stay out of the way and not meddle in the affairs of the church? What, can, what direction does the candidate go? Does the candidate display morality and integrity in their character. Some people have uh, got in mind that this really doesn't matter. All, to, it, all matters is how the senator or the representative or the president or whoever it happens to be, what direction they vote. I propose to you that the moral character, the ethical character, and the spiritual character of a candidate is huge. Why? Because very seldom are there clear-cut, black-and-white, just non-controversial answers to most questions that are being asked. But if the person has an internal conscience that goes the right way, we can depend on that they're at least going to be leaning the right direction, a direction that honors God and protects the people and leads the country in a right direction. Because nobody, no matter what the advertisements say, no matter what the publicity is, it's never that cut and dry. It's never that easy. And so what direction do they go? Is this person known for flip-flopping all over the place? Do they have a real bottom solid core that they work from? We need to know that. And so somebody that will cheat and lie and steal and do whatever, I have a problem. Their lifestyle does matter. What they do non-politically does matter. And so we don't always know those things, but to our best of our ability, we go that direction. Does the candidate, and this is the last one, and I'll spend just a few minutes on this, does the candidate advocate social justice? Now, you already saw one that said legal and civil justice. That one there is cut and dry biblically. This one here is the one that causes a lot of grief today, 
and I have less time than I wanted to deal with this, but there are three different approaches. The first one is the general approach to this. It promotes the idea that people have equal political, social, and economic and civil opportunities to accomplish what they are willing, capable, and responsible to carry out. And by the way, responsible means hard work, long hours, and investment of resources and risk. In other words, are they somebody that's productive in doing something? Do they have the right to carry that out? Are they uh, given opportunity to work to their fullest, to use their gifts, talents, and abilities to the fullest? Or are they hampered uh, by that? Today, social justice is a very different animal. Social justice today does not have to do the way it's used today. I'm sorry, so, so catch this. The first one is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It will mirror what I'm going to talk about, biblical social justice. But the one that is seen today is that uh, there is an equality of outcome. In other words, if I don't risk anything and I don't work hard and I don't work to the best of my ability and use my gifts, I still should have the same as somebody who has busted their back to do that and use and risk everything. Let's face it, you check the people out that have been a success, they have risked a lot to do that. They have put a lot into it. But social justice today simply says, uh, uh, is striving that there's an imposed and mandated economic equality and classness, classlessness that is the end result. And so basically it comes out to this, that in the man-centered approach to civil, uh, social justice, the government is in the role of the savior in bringing in a utopia through government policies. In other words, it's not up to the individual to work hard and do what he, and use what is given him to achieve something. The government will do it for you. I got to tell you, that is not biblical. Look through the whole Bible. You will not find that. We'll look at the biblical one in a second. On the other hand, a God-centered approach to social justice, and now this is the biblical approach, sees Christians and others expressing their love and justice by showing kindness, grace, mercy to those who don't have as much, less fortunate, who aren't able. God didn't mandate, and I looked for hours to find in the Bible where God said social justice is to be carried out by the government. Equal opportunity, equal rights, equal protection, all of those things. Equal opportunity. Equal outcome, never in the Bible. God's view is this, that those in society, and by the way, some of the people who have made it the biggest in the world are the people that give the most. In fact, is one of the things that you want to know and ought to know is that Christians, by and large, give way more to help those who don't have as much than the rest of the world does. We outshine the government by a lot because, unfortunately, what happens is when the government gets involved, people get hooked on a handout instead of help. In fact, is uh, we, we deal with that at church all the time. Uh, I have a thing because people call the office all the time and says, can you help us out? And I said, yeah, we do. Uh, but we're here to help people uh, 
help themselves. We're not here simply to give handouts. And I believe the government is not to be in that business. I've looked. I cannot find that. But unfortunately, we need to look at, and I have pages of uh, backup for this, but that is something that God has entrusted to individuals. He has entrusted to us to help those. People, when given opportunity, are generous. In fact, is in Matthew, it says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. He was talking to those that were not believers. He said, even unbelievers have a desire at times to give good things to others. But we, as Christians in particular, when you look at this, and I have to tell you, whether it's... Uh, Something like Bev just brought up, or it's a baby bottle boomerang. Say that three times. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. We have the opportunity to help, and we are to do that as Christians. That is our responsibility as Christian citizens, to carry those things out. Even the world does that. But in James chapter 2, and I'm going to close with this. There's a lot more to say. But it says... What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? Now listen to this. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. You see, we have a responsibility, but that responsibility was never given to government. We need to understand. Am I telling you who to vote for? The answer is no. Have I hopefully given you some encouragement to vote? I hope that's true. Have I given some biblical principles to be able to make good decisions? I hope that is true this morning. I hope that you will be good stewards, salt and light, of what God has entrusted to you. We have it. Let's not waste it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that your God has never left us ignorant of anything that's important. In this area, you haven't left us ignorant of what the role of government is and what our role and our view of it should be and what our involvement is supposed to be. Lord, I pray that you would challenge all of us to live for you in every way, and this morning especially, that we will be the stewards of the ability to vote and carry that out on Tuesday. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with God.